where uh, Bishop Heber had, uh, had been the presiding bishop. And there's a big marble statue of him in the entrance of that. Well, the bishop now is a man, uh, well, it was then. I don't know who's replaced him, but he was in his last year, Bishop Garai, a godly man uh, from South India. And uh, the night we, uh, we led the services, uh, the, the, if you can imagine this beautiful Anglican cathedral, just packed with people and uh, singing the version you just sang. Uh, we led them in that one, and they really got into it uh, with the hands in the air. And Bishop Garai was the most enthusiastic. And uh, uh, Bishop Heber might have turned over in his grave, but I think he probably, uh, probably liked it. But it was uh, an unforgettable uh, memory to see so many people in a place where God's holiness uh, was uh, was proclaimed and, and celebrated over a century ago. You see that continue to happen. Uh, today is the National Day of Prayer. Uh, places all over Santa Barbara, uh, churches are gathering for prayer. Uh, I'm dressed up this way because I'll be participating in a prayer meeting downtown uh, at 12 noon. I'll have to leave right after the service this morning. But if you can get off to a church at noon or at other times a day, uh, it would be a wonderful thing to do. Uh, if you can't, uh, just gather in small groups or whatever to continue to pray uh, for our world uh, as well as our country and all that's in front of us. You've been hearing voicemails and uh, emails. You've seen uh, the various things we're doing. Uh, you can pick, there will actually be those, those white ribbons uh, that are, have suddenly become very important, uh, signs of solidarity. They'll be passed out as you leave if you want one. Uh, we're giving money to the American Red Cross and a number of places around campus. You can uh, put money in a box there. That'll be collected. Uh, blood drive. Uh, there's been a huge response, and uh, there's still more to come. Uh, actually, they, they can't take any more people right now, but uh, sometime later in October, there will be another call for blood. And so just be alert to that, uh, that coming up. I'm going to ask Julie DeGraw, our speaker this morning, to come up. I was, uh, I was so glad that she agreed to uh, tell her story. Uh, Julie is just, I mean, I could talk about her job here, but everybody who's a first-year student uh, knows that. But she's just cool. I, and, <laughs> and I like the way she looks at you when you say stuff like that. kind of rolls her eyes and looks away. Uh, one of the people I am so glad that I know and so enjoy. And, uh, and she's going to give her testimony this morning. Uh, something we've been doing, we'll do a lot this semester especially. We, we just think it's time for us to kind of look at the people and the stories God is writing uh, in the lives of people here on Westmont's campus. So would you pray with me as uh, Julie shares with her, or with us, her testimony. And Father, bless this sister. Uh, give her joy as she speaks to us. And Lord, give us joy and the fear of the Lord as we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a... Uh scary time uh, to be up here and feeling like you have anything uh, significant to say. But one of the things that has given me courage in this time is that as I uh, kind of narrowed down, you know, it's like share your life in 20 minutes. Yeah, okay. Um, when I narrowed that down over the weekend, the common theme that came out of what I wanted to talk about today was how uh, the conflict that happens between hope and fear in our lives. And I felt like that was very appropriate to what's been happening in our nation and what's happening in me personally right now with all the events 
So for me, that, that felt like God was, was, uh, was with us in this time, and hopefully we'll be able to speak through some of what I would like to say. So first of all, uh, I'm a Michigan girl. For those of you who are from California and don't know your geography, it looks like a mitten. It's got lots of lakes around it. You can see it from outer space. Okay? Uh, I lived here. If you're from Michigan, this is what you do. I lived here. Okay? Um, grew up there, came to California, experienced quite a bit of culture shock when I first arrived here right after college. Uh, I was raised as a preacher's kid. Actually, I'm a double preacher's kid. Both of my parents were United Methodist pastors. And uh, I know it's terrible, isn't it? Awful childhood. Um, and I, I also grew up as what you would call a camping brat. I don't know how many of you also grew up that way, but my parents loved to camp and backpack. And because of that, my dad would end up being deans in all these various sundry different, you know, you have the Great Lakes camp, canoe camp, you know, look at your other person camp. I mean, every camp you could imagine, you know. Uh, and I would hang out there. So really, I don't have a very dramatic conversion story. I was raised as a, a Christian. Although when I was in second grade, I was at one of these camps, and um, under the pine trees in this little log cabin chapel, one of the women who was speaking invited the high schoolers there to really uh, accept Christ and talked about what that relationship might like be. And I really felt led at that point in second grade to make that commitment. Now, of course, my dad pulled me aside and said, you're not trying to be cool just to be like the high schoolers, right? And I said, no, this is very real to me. And I can still, to this day, remember the... A rush of um, peace that went through me at that time in second grade. And it's kind of mingled with the smell of the pines and the wind through the trees and all of that comes together for me. So one of the things I wanted to start talking about is um, nature. And really, for me, that is my way, the, the, the way that I become closest to God, to feel his presence, to smell, to see his presence, and it was really until I was in college before I was given permission for that to be okay and be one of the ways in which you can really experience God. Um, I'm reading a great book right now called Sacred Path. It's always good when you're a chapel speaker to pretend, you know, hold up your book that you're reading, right? Uh, Sacred, <laughs> Sacred Pathways. And it really talks about a lot of the different ways in which we approach God. And one of those is called uh, The Naturalist. And I think it does put to words, I'm in good company, you know, Jesus was in nature, Deborah sat under her tree and imparted her wisdom. Um, there are a number of biblical characters. But I want to tell you one story in particular. Um, when I was an RD, back in the days when I had my summers free, I uh, went and worked at Snow Mountain Ranch YMCA of the Rockies in Colorado. Uh, Winter Park, you guys are all from there. Fell in love with the place. Um, but I trained one whole summer to be a hiking guide, and the second summer became a hiking guide. Uh, one such day was at the very beginning when the two other two guides were new, had not been trained, did not know the trails. And so we decided time to get Alex out on the trail. Now, the background to this is that I was the first woman hiking guide. They'd, they called them hike masters. Okay? Made me feel very... Uh, but I was the first female hike master they'd had in over 10 years. And so I felt some pressure to represent my gender well. Right? Um, and I take Alex up, and we were a little zealous because there was still about four feet of snow, but we wanted to find this trailhead. So at, uh, at the base, we had our little our snowshoes, but we got up there, and there was a hard crust on the snow. So the snowshoes obviously were not helpful. They became like skis, you know. You're like, whoo, you know. Uh, for me, I didn't even have the right boots, really, that I should have had. And so I would take about six steps, and then I would just slide. My feet would go, whoo. Uh, Alex, unfortunately, had better boots, which was... Ooh, making me mad. 
Uh, so then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll hike closer to the trees because the snow is soft. Well, obviously you can imagine what happened then. You know, I break through and I'm in snow to here. So I'm pulling myself over. I have to kind of crawl until it's hard again, pull yourself up. Alex is just walking along in front of me. Finally, he had to start hiking below me because as I would slide, I'd start to gain speed. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I need to tackle you if you can't break your stop, right? I mean, and this is a pretty serious incline, but the whole point is so you don't have to go straight up the mountain, kind of go along the side and come up top. My fears really started to overtake me. And they were fears such as, oh my gosh, I was going to think I'm the biggest flake in the world because I keep falling, right? I am, I am not going to be able to do this. I am not going to be able to do this. I'm tired already, and we've only gone a mile, and I've got four more to go. And what happens when I can't break my stop? You know, I mean, Alex, okay, the other thing you have to keep in mind is, okay, there's me, and then there's Alex, who's training for the cross-country ski team for the Olympics, okay? You know, he's like, Alex, the hike master, you know? <laughs> Women would, like, give him tips just because he walked in in his little shorts, you know? It was, like, not good. <laughs> and I'd be like, hey, hey, you know, here I am. I'm going to teach you about nature and stuff. Um, <laughs> it was not pretty. So on the way up, it came to the point where the one time when Alex I did have to tackle me, we were like, all right, you know what? The only way we can do this is to go straight up. And for a mile, Alex dug holes in the snow, and it was like stair-stepper. At 10, you know, this is 10,000 feet we're talking, so anybody who's been at altitude, your lungs kind of shrink. You really think you can see the oxygen in the air because there is none, right? And sucking, sucking wind, big time. So we finally get to the, top, or get to the level part, and Alex takes off. Okay, by this time, I'm very tired, and I'm thinking, I can't do this. And again, the fear, as soon as that happens, the fear starts to overtake. And literally, the two things that got me to the top of the mountain that day were, one, I really felt like I said to God, I need to, I need to conquer this. I need to know that I can do this. This is the start of my season, and if I can't do this, I'm going to want to turn around and go home. And two, Alex ticked me off, man. He took off. He left me. You never leave your hiking partner, right? So I'm just, you know. It was seriously, I think, part of my reason I got to the top. Uh, so I could tell him off, basically. And uh, so much for God's beauty and grandeur, you know. I'm like, hey, you, come here. Uh, and then I got to the top. Uh, I really was ready to give him a piece of my mind. And I said, Alex, you didn't even turn around. I mean, it was fine that you didn't stop, but you never even turned around to look to see if I was okay. And he said, Julie, if I would have turned around, you would have thought that, I couldn't, that you couldn't do it. And by keeping going, I felt like that was showing you that I knew that you would be at the top. And I realized that's so true, that that would have reinforced my fears. And when I got to the top, part of what is, I think, uh, the way in which God speaks to me is, if you haven't been on top of a mountain, you need to go to one, okay? It, you see God's magnitude and awesomeness, not in the way we use the word here, but awesome, the grandeur and the hugeness of what he has created, put your life into perspective and has for me a lot. And it put my fear into perspective because I, I could kind of work through the fear. I felt it. I still experienced it later. But having experienced it once, I could, I could work through that. The other thing is it gives you, because what draws you on is the hope of what you're going to see at the top, right? You, you want that to be big and huge. As a matter of fact, one of the quotes from a a pastor, Charles Hayden Spurgeon, who's a preacher, said, Surely everything that comes from the hand of such a master artist as God has something in it of himself. There are lovely spots on this fair globe which ought to make even a blasphemer devout. I have said among the mountains, He who sees no God here is mad. 
There are things that God has made which overwhelm with a sense of his omnipotence. How can humans see them and doubt the existence of the deity? And that was really what called me on to be that hiking guide for the summer, that most of the people that I was leading were not Christians, but that they could get some sense of the grandness. And at our feet were the tundra flowers, and how small and delicate and intricate those were, and the surviving the feet of feet of snow, the blowing winds. The other fear that kind of is part of the whole thing, that I think... Um, in that magnitude for God, as you're on top of the mountain, anybody who's also experienced the wind, you know, when you take your gloves off and it blows over the side and you look down, you go, um, there's a great um, power that exists in nature that I think um, sometimes people are unprepared for because they don't have a healthy fear for what can happen to you when you're out there. All the awful stories I would hear of, of, of people who would go unprepared. The many times I ended up giving all my stuff to some hiker who walked up the mountain in shorts with a bottle of water and then got hypothermic. You know, you have to have this healthy sense of God's power and God's strength in nature. And I think it also allowed me to realize that there were people who were prepared and awful things still happened to them. Um, uh, a hunter who had been in that valley for 40 years got turned around and froze to death a quarter of a mile from our camp because of just the nature of the snow and what happened that day and getting wet and some things like that. And it, it helped me, I think, realize that some of those things just happen. They just do. And it's part of one of the things that helped me work through my fear. Okay, what I want you guys to do with me just for two minutes this morning is, and I'm not pretending to be a professional photographer, I was embarrassed when I gave these to Brad, uh, is to look at some images. And I, part of, I thought about taking this out this morning, but with all of the images that we have seen lately, I feel like it would be great to look at a few that are beautiful. And while we do this, I'm going to help you um, by reading through one of uh, the Psalms, Psalm 149, if, if you guys want to follow along or whatever. <clears throat> Praise God for his universal glory. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens and praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters, and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people and praise for all of his faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord.
Okay, so one other time, want to switch gears, and this is probably um, the, the, the time of my greatest spiritual growth. So when I think about my witness, I, I guess I think about the times where I feel like God has been very present in my life in hard and, and, and good ways. And that, um, so I need to tell you about my mom, okay? My mom, I am my mother's daughter, okay? My mother, the, the preacher. Uh, however, she uh, grew up a farm girl in rural Michigan and ended up, um, as soon as she graduated from high school, taken off for Chicago, which was uh, a major thing in our family because I'm the only one in my extended family who's even out of state now, let alone back then. Went to college while I was in elementary school and went to seminary after both my sister and I were out of college so that my parents had the money to, to, to do that. Um, she thought it was very important to travel so that our worldview would be very large and we could experience uh, lots of different cultures. So she, we didn't have money, we're preacher's kids, right? Um, she would lead tours in other places and get enough people to go so that my sister and I could go for free. And that's how we saw, and my dad did the same thing in Israel. My mom would do them in Europe. And that's how we um, found our way. She was strong-willed, independent, wise, and very adventurous. I tracked her off on my 30th birthday to Wonder Lake, Alaska, and made her camp in the rain for three days. Well, both my parents. Um, But definitely one of those people who felt called her entire life to the ministry, but uh, did not have the support from her family and or had seen any women ministers at that time, even though they've been in the United Methodist Church for a long time. Whole nother chapel talk. If you want to come to talk to me about women in ministry, I'd love to chat with you. Not going not gonna to go there. Uh, however, one of the things uh, that changed my life and really uh, helped me grow closer is uh, that my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And I want to read you uh, my journal article or my journal entry that I think sums a lot of things up. Oh, and at the time, oh, by the way, I've been dating a guy for a year and a half at the time, so when Dan is in here, that's him. Just, and you can't ask me about that. (laughs) 929.99 is a date I'll never forget. It's when mom called to say she was jaundiced and they were concerned, so they were doing an ultrasound. Later that day, they found masses on her pancreas, which was confirmed as a tumor on the CAT scan the next day. So So I'm home for the doctor's appointment and to do stuff for my mom. The whole thing is so strange. I know people are praying because I have a strange peace, but it's almost like I'm living in a movie. These are the things that happen to other people. When we went to the University of Michigan on Wednesday, it became very real. Walking into the cancer center, the word cancer jumped out. Seeing her in the wheelchair after the procedure and leaning down to put on her shoes. My mom is sick and it's hard not to let the world crash in around you when you see those who are so strong made physically weak. Of course, she continues to be emotionally strong for everyone else, me, my dad, her church, my grandmother. But how scary. I have great hope, but I also have great fear. I have a feeling that these two emotions will do battle in me over the next few months. I have hope in the great things that prayer and love and a battling attitude can do against cancer. But like Dan said last night, my greatest fear has been to lose someone in my family. Actually, I said my greatest fear would be to lose him and her at the same time. But I think the fear makes the love more intense. No longer can you take for granted those you love. Any beautiful thing I see brings tears to my eyes. Just sitting with my mom and being able to touch her brings deep love. And Dad and Sharon, that's my sister, I have had a hard time explaining it, but I guess it's the old cliche that you appreciate what you have and see life differently when you realize how short it could be.
I, I can't begin to explain uh, what it's like to have your my mom, who is my kindred spirit, really the one person that I felt closest to in this world, uh, deteriorate in front of your eyes and have to take care of her as she took care of you when you were a child. Um, it's a gift, but it's the most difficult thing I can imagine doing. It's a different kind of grief than the people who have lost people uh, quickly. I had a chance to say goodbye. But I realized that I had to face my greatest fear, which was being alone. And uh, as a single person, as long as I have, uh, I sort of got the idea that if you were married, you didn't get lonely. You didn't feel that, um, that need for connection. And now that uh, I have lots of married friends, they tell me, I'm crazy, basically, that we all have this built-in um, desire for connection and deep um, longing, and that through um, working through losing that person, which I don't, I don't know if I buy the whole good things come out of bad things altogether, but uh, I realized that that connection was built in me for, for Christ and for God, and that we fill that in with, with uh, husbands and wives, we fill that in with work, we fill that in with friendships and how important our friendships are to us. Um, but through that, and actually breaking up with my boyfriend a month before my mom died, uh, I could face, with God's help and your prayers, one of the most difficult mornings uh, with my mom, you guys were praying for me in chapel and I had no idea. And I literally could not figure out how I was able to do it without falling apart until one of uh, the students that I talked to on the phone later told me that you guys were praying for me in chapel. And that's the hope. And the hope... I think also is, is bigger than death in a lot of ways. And not to say that we don't mourn and that, uh, that we don't have the fear, because I still get lonely and have that fear. But I think what that's done is, is draw me to where the real source of uh, where that strength and comfort should come from. Uh, I felt pretty strongly that I wanted to end with one song today uh, by David Wilcox. Oh, well, I'm not sure how many of you know him. And, and that one I actually have the words for because I'm kind of a visual learner and we'll have them up. But the song right after it is actually very powerful for what we're going through right now. Um, and so I'm going to take five minutes then and play two songs that I think say uh, some of the things that I've been trying to say in, in maybe even a better way. Julie, thank you for what you've told us about God. God, thank you for Julie and for this uh, wonderful world that we're just the faint tracing of mystery upon. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Peace. Today and forever. Amen.